Let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author of our faith and the one who brings it to its goal. In view of the joy set before him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of God's throne. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Jesus told this parable to certain people who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and looked down on others. Two men went up to the temple courts to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself like this. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. However, the tax collector stood at a distance and would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but was beating his chest and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went home justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it's an irony. Maybe you know people like this. You've certainly heard of people like this. A guy, since he was old enough to legally do it, spends 20 bucks a week buying lottery tickets, hoping, even though the chance is greater of being struck by lightning, hoping to be an overnight millionaire. He retires having never won that lottery. Chances are pretty slim. This is why economists say that lottery is a tax on foolishness. And yet the irony is, if he had invested that $20 a week wisely, by the time he was retirement age, he would have had more money than the million he'd hoped to win, throwing his money into the wind. During the Passion season this year, we are going to look at ironies of the Passion. And today there's a great irony, because one man comes to the Lord and thinks he's saved, and the other one can only beg for salvation. Like the guy buying the lottery tickets, one of them definitely was going about it in a way that was just a tax on foolishness. He was not going to be justified that way. So today we see this man went home justified. Not the man who deserved it, or at least that the world would say, but the one who the world would say didn't deserve it. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, as we're told, they were at the temple praying. The temple should have done its work. You see, when you think of the temple in the Old Testament times, what you should think of is blood. Lots and lots of blood and guilt. Lots and lots of guilt. You came with your animal. I'm unclean. I'm a sinner. The priest checked to make sure that animal was without blemish or defect because if it had a blemish, then it was rejected. And then upon his approval, you cut that animal's throat. You collected the blood. The priest would take that animal and present its body up on the altar where it would be burned up, burnt to ashes. The wages of sin is death. And then the priest came and he dipped his sop into that blood and he splattered it on you. The blood of an innocent victim. A victim without blemish or defect. And he would tell you your sins had been removed. 
They were not removed because of that animal. They were removed because of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. They pointed ahead. But that temple every day preached the wages of sin is death. And one who is without blemish and defect, one who has no sin, is what we need to remove our sin. So right alone there is the irony. The Pharisee thinking as he sees these animals being slaughtered, that he doesn't have sin? Didn't think he needed a savior, did he? Because he thought he was sin free. Ash Wednesday reminds us just that. We are sinners and the wages of sin is death as they used to put the ash cross on people's forehead. But it was a cross to remind them out of that ashes comes life. Life we have in our savior. And so there's quite an irony in this Pharisee. And you and I today, we think of hypocrisy with Pharisees, don't we? But you know, the people of that day looked at Pharisees and they thought, holy. Those Pharisees thought they were saved by keeping the law and they thought that was a reflection of holiness. And to make sure that they never missed one ounce of holiness, they added 600 other laws that they obeyed around the Ten Commandments. Sometimes we get confused. We think Christians who think that they acting holy enough earn forgiveness. We can turn around and say, boy, they're so holy. I wish I could be holy like them. And we've missed it. When I lived in a small town, there was one of those cults that was based where they stole from the Bible. And a gal who knocked on people's doors and tried to convert them to the cult, people would say, oh, she's so holy. Oh, no, no. Standing at the temple and missing that the wages of sin is death. And we need somebody who is holy, who's without blemish and defect to take away our sins. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the irony is people who think that we act holy enough and then we're saved, miss it. Because if you're going to be saved by the law, God's law demands that you be perfectly holy 100% of the time. If you botch it once, just screw up once, you're unholy. You can't do extra holiness to make up for an unholy act. That's just not how it works. So apart from Christ, the only human beings who had this was Adam and Eve. They were created in God's image. God's image is holiness, and they had it. Oh, but the devil came and told them his little lie. They stopped being holy. In fact, we read they had children in their image. Not God's image. They had lost God's image. When Eve gives birth to the first child, she says literally in the Hebrew, I've begotten a man, the Lord. And Bible translators have tried to excuse Eve and translate it as things like, I've begotten a man with the help of the Lord. But Eve heard right from the Lord himself the promise that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. So is it so awful if she thought the child she had just begotten was the seed that would crush the serpent's head? But the irony of ironies, he'll be the first one to murder a believer. He'll be the first unbeliever, won't he? Brothers and sisters in Christ, Cain saw God's grace. Cain actually got to talk to God. And yet he was jealous of his brother who saw God as a gracious God. Ever since Adam and Eve fell into sin, it is built into us the devil's lie that we are saved by acting holy, just like that Pharisee thought. And that's where the hypocrisy comes in. We've all had friends that are that way, and maybe we've been guilty ourselves of thinking, there I am, I'm holy, 
And real quickly, like then, we start thinking we're better than everybody else. Lord, I thank you I ain't like that scumbag there. The one who knows that they need forgiveness. The irony. The Pharisee needed forgiveness just as much as the tax collector, but he didn't know it. He refused to see it. Psychologists call it confirmation bias. When you believe in something in spite of all the evidence that you actually start taking the correct evidence and twisting it to fit your view. There he is at the temple seeing blood and ash and hearing forgiveness of sins. And he twists it to say, I thank you, I'm not like this sleazy tax collector. And the kind of irony that comes with that, brothers and sisters in Christ, is you will work yourself to spiritual death if you buy into it. That's what the devil loves. He loves you to trust in anything in salvation, but the one without blemish and defect who was holy in our place. Yes, if we knew that Pharisee today, we might get annoyed by some hypocrisy, but we'd look at him and we would think, man, that guy's so holy. Holier than thou. He thought he was so holy that the irony is he didn't realize how desperately he needed a savior. So he didn't go home with forgiveness. The man who went home justified is not the man that the world would say deserved it. That man didn't receive it. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus uses that word justified. It's a courtroom term and we don't use it a lot in our regular English. When we apply it to the temple, when we apply it to that Lamb of God without blemish or defect, it goes like this. I am as sinful as can be. All I can do is what we did at the beginning of the service. All I can do is be like that tax collector and beat my chest and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. But because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, He is holy, perfectly holy, true God and true man. He gave His life in our place after living perfectly holy for us while we're drugged into God's courtroom. It's justified, never sinned at all. That's the glory of having a savior. Now, the tax collector, you and I can miss what the big deal was. Oh, we all kind of get scared if the IRS calls us. But the Roman government required a 15% tax. And the tax collectors, that's what they did. They collected it. But they, to get their pay, collected extra. And the Roman government didn't put a cap on that. They were legalized thieves. And if you were a Jew living in this time of Israel, you would especially resent not just the legalized thief who was keeping you from keeping your hard-earned income, but you would resent because when they collected taxes, the taxes they collected were funding the occupying army, the Roman soldiers that were there in Jerusalem, that were there in Israel, the Gentile unclean scum that were ruling your country. Yes, they had extra reasons to look down on that tax collector. But that tax collector shows us the real work of the law. The real work of the law is not to save us. The law always accuses. The Ten Commandments are like an umpire at a ball game. It calls the strikes. It calls the foul balls. Sin, 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 sin. And the work of the law is to crush us, to drive us down so we feel the ashes and the flames of hell, so that we, like that tax collector, can only beat our chest and say, Lord, have mercy on me. 
We are drug into the courtroom and we know we are guilty and there are no loopholes with God. Have mercy. But the heart that the law has driven into the dirt like that is the heart that the Lord, the Lord has made fertile to receive the good news. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God was holy for you in your place. God has suffered your punishment. In fact, God who is your judge is also your attorney, is also your savior. The man who didn't deserve it, he knew he didn't deserve it. He knew he needed a savior. He went home from that temple forgiven because he knew the coming Lamb of God. He knew that God is gracious and merciful. His heart had been ready to hear the good news of forgiveness. Let me tell you another story. It's an urban legend. I haven't been able to prove it. I heard it about 15 years ago. The story goes, a man won the million dollar lottery. and He thought he had a genius plan. After he paid taxes on that million dollars, obviously, he turned around and spent every last dime on lottery tickets for a bigger lottery. Figuring since he could afford that many tickets, he would surely win the bigger chunk of money. And he lost it all. That's not just irony. That's folly. But sometimes we Christians can get confused. We come to the Lord like that tax collector. Lord, have mercy. And God has had mercy. And then we turn around and run to the law. If we act holy enough, then we'll be saved. With things like, if you act sorry enough, if you do penance, then God will save you. If you are holy, then Jesus, if, if you trust in Jesus, then He's made like a shortcut. Then you think, He's made it possible for us to keep the law, not He did it for us. People think, you act holy enough after Jesus has given you grace and then you'll be saved. Oh, and what happens if you die before you reach holiness in this life, your own holiness? Well, then there's the fleeting hope. Do your best and God will do the rest. All of that is like being the guy who's won the lottery and reinvesting it. No, brothers and sisters in Christ, once we have mercy, God sends the Holy Spirit into our hearts to give us the faith to cling to that mercy because the devil is always there using our sinful nature to whisper, you got to earn it. You got to be holy enough. Not Christ. Christ is my holiness. There is what we cling to. And so brothers and sisters in Christ, one of the ways we can turn around and be like that guy who invested his money in the lottery and lost it all is if we turn around and make God's word an obligation. Now, there's a very subtle difference. God's word comes with the law to condemn us and he gives the Holy Spirit to make us feel that. And God's word comes with the good news of salvation in Christ. That's the gospel to save us. And he has to give us the Holy Spirit there. He sends somebody to us with the word. And they're in the word because the devil's constantly attacking us. It's with the word that he constantly assures us of forgiveness in Christ. So yes, if we're going to be saved, we have to come to the Word. But it depends on where you put the emphasis in that sentence. Is the emphasis on the Word that continually works that trust that Jesus has removed our sin and therefore works the new life? Or are we putting it on the we part as if it's an act we do? Brothers and sisters in Christ, we come to the Word all the time to be reminded we're not holy enough. 
but to be reminded Christ has made us holy enough because we've been given his holiness. We've been justified. And so, yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, quite an irony. Somebody investing their life in a lottery and never winning it, yet if they'd have spent that money, if they'd have invested that money into wiser things, they could have been a millionaire. Well, you and I have received God's grace. We don't have to be foolish with it, do we? God draws us to his word himself to keep us in that grace. Two men went to the temple. The one that you'd think deserved it, he didn't receive forgiveness because he didn't even see that he needed forgiveness. But the man that the world would consider the scum, that guy turned to the Lord and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. He knew he needed a savior and he has one, just like you and I. Amen. Let us conclude our sermon with prayer. We ask you, O Lord, to let your law daily accuse our sinful hearts so that we daily know that our salvation relies solely upon your grace. We ask you to daily fill our hearts with your grace that we may know that in your mercy you sent Christ as our substitute and his blood daily and fully washes away our sin so that we are forever kept in your kingdom of grace. Let us never again turn to the works of the law for our salvation, but always cling to the work Christ did for us. Amen.